Hello and welcome to the Grazia Fashion Podcast, Why I Wear It. I'm Laura Antonia Jordan, Fashion and Lifestyle Features Director at Grazia. In Why I Wear It, we do exactly that. Explore the whys behind what we wear, the emotion of getting dressed, what our clothes say about the people we are and the people we want to be. This week, I'm speaking to the multi-talented and truly fascinating Osman Yusufzada. Osman is an artist, writer and designer whose clothes have been worn by the likes of Beyonce, Lady Gaga and Lupita Nyong'o. Now Osman has written his first memoir, released this month. The Go-Between, a portrait of growing up between different worlds, is an intimate and moving study of his devout Pashtun upbringing in Birmingham in the 1980s and 1990s. It is a beautiful book, moving, compelling, poignant, sometimes harrowing, sometimes hilarious, but always deeply human. At its heart, it is an inspiring coming-of-age story and tender portrait of the strength and resilience of the women he grew up around. As a child, Osman would watch his mother make garments for local women in her impromptu sewing salon in their Birmingham home. It was in the back room with the women that he writes, I felt most free amongst the colourful clothes with all these exotic birds chattering away. He continues of the women. There were so many, each with their own tail. The robes they wore hid all visible identity and definition, denying them silhouettes. Some felt naked if they dressed any other way. This was their space, and this was the godly attire which gave them comfort and protection. Some carried their pain under these robes until they cast them off inside the four walls of their home, away from the eyes that couldn't shame and tarnish them. The double layer chiffon polyester veils thrown back to reveal ears, eyes, lips, hair. Each woman's migrant experience was different. Friendships were born, solidarity organically formed, and friendships were broken just like anywhere else. Some compelled me, rooting themselves firmly in my imagination. In this episode, Osman talks about the emotional roller coaster of writing his book. In a way, just to kind of settle my mind, I've kind of seen it more as a sort of pure memory, something that's kind of stayed alive for me. But I think when I first started writing it, it was really uh, to open up a window into a hidden community. Fashion as a tool for transformation. Instead of actually going through analysing or um, going through art college or understanding stuff, you just completely, you had something instantaneous in your hands, you put it on and it automatically transformed you and made you feel better. So it was a, a performative nature. For me, it was a kind of a performance, really. The power of ritualizing dress. Why had people thrown these clothes away? And then what was very interesting, what came out of them was actually that they only thought that these people only wore clothes for two weeks at a time. And that's why they were getting continuous orders. And that's why basically these clothes were still in really good condition. Welcome, Osman Yusufzada, to the Grazia Fashion Podcast, Why I Wear It. You are our first man. So thank you for <laughs> thank you for having, having that honour. <laughs> I'm your honorary woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you know what it's like. <laughs> I have my own intersectionality, so I don't know. <laughs> no, but thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. 
Well, it's an absolute delight to have you. And I absolutely loved, 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 loved the book, which we're going to go into in a sec. But first of all, I ask all of our guests, why are you wearing what you're wearing today? I mean, I wear what I wear to actually save time and limit choice. I just wear black. It just saves me getting dressed in the morning. So I have a sort of a go-to wardrobe of a, a couple of things. I just kind of wear multiples and what I wear regularly and I let, um, I let my work actually speak for other people rather than myself. And then occasionally I dress up. Occasionally. Well, we'll get on to that. <laughs> so congratulations on your wonderful book, your memoir, The Go-Between. A portrait of growing up between different worlds. I found it just one of the most human books I've read in a long time. And although it's about this very specific community, it was also really universal, I found in some ways. And it really did make me laugh and cry. And sometimes at the same time, I advised everybody to read it. I was laughing and crying at the mince pie story. And as a terrible cook myself, it didn't seem that silly. (laughs) I wondered, you know, it sort of beautifully brings to life, everything, the things that I find most interesting about clothes, which is essentially that they're always so much more than that. Would you mind describing the book in your own words? I mean, I really see it as a love letter to my mum. My mum died on New Year's Day just recently. And so it's been kind of quite a, it's been quite a crazy time, really. So it's been a time where I've had to do so much other ritual and put her away and, you know, I mean, go through a sort of series of rituals and bury her. And then I've got this kind of going straight into this campaign for the book. So it's kind of like a bit of a roller coaster emotionally. So in a way, just to kind of settle my mind, I've kind of seen it more as a, so to her memory, something that's kind of stays alive for me. But I think when I first started writing it, it was really a, to open up a window into a hidden community. I'm deeply sorry for your loss. And it is such a beautiful tribute to your mother and also your sisters and the women of your community. You're granted really like quite intimate access into their world. And that's through your mum, often through her like sewing and the women coming to have their beautiful dresses and everything made by her. What was it like to watch her work? I mean, I, I was just drawn to that kind of world, much that actually, rather than going out and building dens or playing football, I was much more drawn to this kind of intimate world of interior spaces and kind of safe spaces. And I found those at safe spaces. So, and watching my mum, my mum, was a kind of like a matriarch in a sea of patriarchy. So she had this innate strength, which was always like really quite powerful. She had a powerful presence, which was quite nurturing and quite maternal, but still quite strict and still quite sort of purposed. And a very focused energy. She was quite no-nonsense and a kind of, I don't know if you're, in the brisk northern but I mean I think culturally I mean she wasn't she was northern by migration but in a way where there were points where she would savor but she was very 
quick to make up her mind and she knew what she really always wanted, whether she could get it or not. It may have actually taken her a lot longer to get because of the the confines of the system, but I think she was really quite determined. And I imagine you saw from an early age the transformative effect that clothes can have on people for the better and the worse. And I guess that's something that you've seen in your work as a designer as well, when, I don't know, a fit model or you're creating something for somebody and when they put it on, the way they hold themselves, would that be right? No, definitely. I think the easiest way for me to actually really describe my kind of like interests and love for fashion was actually I came from such a close community and the easiest way to express yourselves was to actually do it through self-transformation. And that was actually when I came to London, that was through clothes. That just seemed like a sort of an easy route. So if you wanted to wear a particular hat or a particular jacket or sort of like embroider your own clothes or add patches. So these are sort of patches of identity that you kind of had conversations with the outside world. And that was a really easy because I didn't grow up in a sort of creative or an arty environment. I grew up in an environment where everything was quite prescriptive and everything had meaning for a kind of another world, for preparing yourself for another world. So in a way, it was the easiest way of actually just seeing clothes as being able to just, instead of actually going through analysing or um, going through art college or understanding stuff, you just completely, you had something instantaneous in your hands, you put it on and it automatically transformed you and made you feel better. So it was a, a performative nature. For me, it was a kind of a performance, really. Which I suppose it is for all of us in a way, you know, when we get dressed. Yeah, I think, it, I mean, that's sort of, it was just an easy, accessible thing to be able to do that yourself. Yeah. Can you remember the first time that you sort of made an expression of your own personality through clothes? I know you talk about some jeans. Yeah. <laughs> that you put um, safety pins on in the book. Yeah, I think those kind of, I mean, predominantly was like my brother had some, he could afford to have much interesting clothes and I could really have. So he was much older than me. So I would borrow some of his clothes as most siblings actually do and then get into trouble. So <laughs> those are kind of like ways of trying to form your identity and then sort of how, you know, I was, I was at actually my mum's prayers and then there was um, a family friend that was very close to my mother and, and he said, I remember you. I remember actually you and your brother we were going to take you. We were going to Pakistan and we were going to drop you off at the airport. And um, you turned up in ripped jeans. And we said, like, you know, you really need to change your clothes. And then he said, no, no, I don't want to change my clothes. So it's kind of like these acts of defiance where in a way that, you know, I think most kind of teenagers want to kind of like stamp your identity. And I think that's just... Um, I mean, for me, I had a part of my life where I did actually dress up and want to kind of go out. But generally, it was just kind of this idea with growing up with fabric, sort of matching fabric, matching kind of like haberdasheries with laces, with chiffons for headscarves. I mean, 
sort of embroidery threads. So th- those kind of ideas of materiality was actually very, is really how I really quite started. And then the fact that these clothes, because men aren't really allowed to wear, men are allowed to wear very kind of austere clothes. They're not allowed to wear colour. They're allowed to wear a particular kind of not even allowed to wear silk or or gold or, or, or not even silk blends. So there's this kind of real austerity on one side and then on the other side there's this real kind of flamboyance which is still quite covered and contained but it was just a sort of bit of a, a treasure trove. The book so beautifully captures you. I mean, you're the you're not just the go-between between these sort of female and male worlds within the community, but the different cultures, even on your own street. Can you remember as a boy the first time that you noticed sort of a, an, an otherness beyond your community in courtesy of what they were wearing? I mean, we were probably the other in some respect because we were always seen as the strict lot. We were seen as, even within our communities, we were like seen as like, oh yeah, those are the, the front people from the frontier. I mean, they're kind of from a different world. And then you had the kind of the idea of people running past and going towards or trying to dream their migrant dream or the, the economic dream that they kind of came over to go through hardships from certain communities. And that was kind of whizzing away of girls kind of driving in comparison to women that I kind of cousins and community where women weren't allowed to kind of interact with the outside world. So it's this real kind of, for me, it's this world of men and the world of women you're always, I mean, there was the, the sense of otherness outside because we were here because the British were over there to some extent. And those are, those are some of the narratives of when I was growing up was kind of quite prevalent. But I think for me, I don't know. I mean, I think somehow it's always kind of quite difficult. I think I probably have to read the book again because I think it's been quite cathartic where you dump everything into this book and then you think, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, and then you have to kind of talk about it. So I'm just trying to sort of um, work through that. Are you excited about it coming out? (laughs) Am I excited about it? I am nervous and I'm I'm excited as well. So it's a kind of like... um, You should be excited. As I said to you on email, I think it's just the most phenomenal achievement. And um, you can add that to your many lists of achievements because, of course, you're not just a published author and memoirist now. You're um, a writer, a designer. You have an art practice. You work across so many different disciplines. In the book... There's this this very sort of bookish child comes across. Do you see all these forms as just a different sort of medium for storytelling? No, I do. I mean, someone asked me before and I said, well, if I if I needed a brain surgeon, I'd definitely need a specialist. But I think if I needed a storyteller, I think I wanted to be able to... Be able to I don't know. I mean, I feel like... I'm still trying to search for an identity and I think in a branded world where you have to actually have a particular brand or a particular offering to the world and that's how you transact to the world right so the older I get the more kind of sort of anti-establishment and anti-consumer and anti-kind of capitalist that I become so for me it's really about 
telling stories about in a way where whether it's across garment making it's across moving image it's across writing it's really trying to I don't know, contextualize in a, your work in a kind of cultural landscape that actually becomes, hopefully it stays, because what I don't always like about fashion is that it's always about what's next, what what's next, and the, the constant seasonality of actually endless product. And I feel, you know, it's firstly, it's unsustainable. And secondly, I think no one really knows needs that much product in the world. But I think going back to your I am. I'm nervous. I'm excited, but I'm also sometimes thinking, why should I really have written this book? I mean, I, I told my mum a few years ago that I was writing this book, and and I wanted to ask her to sort of remember any of her stories. And she basically said to me, she goes, "That's the stupidest thing that you can ever do to write a book." And and basically, she, I mean, she would have to get into a mood to actually talk about old times or stories that she had in her head. And and then when she kind of knew that I was doing this, she had kind of go stump and um she wouldn't stop a bit she said you know you asked too many questions you asked too many questions (laughs) so it was like this kind of real investigative kind of process with a very unwilling party it was really about sort of memories that kind of I remember a lot I remember I have a very visual memory so I remember a lot and I really I mean, that's where it kind of like stemmed from. And then, you know, as in memories, memories meets fiction and what is kind of fiction today and what what was memory before, it kind of, it changes. So for me, it's really a coming of age story from a very particular, it stops before fashion. It's got nothing to do with fashion. I, it's really more of a, a conversation on class and and also a conversation on race and I think those conversations are because I think you know I think there is a class conversation and then there's a race conversation and we've had the race conversation and the race conversation whether it's going to change a lot of the narratives or not but I think the class conversation is still you know the brown black experience and middle class brown black experience is actually very different to the brown black working class experience so I think it's um I think hopefully it opens up many different conversations Totally. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think that class is such a woefully under-discussed and acknowledged issue, actually. In fact, not just in fashion, like beyond. I feel really moved, actually, because I was just thinking about the another bit which made me cry was when you often talked about books and there was something so sort of wide-eyed and innocent about it. And now just thinking about the boy that was desperate to get his hands on them is going to be in the bookshops himself, you know? I don't have to steal any more books. (laughs) (laughs) You have a limitless supply now. Is that why you did it? (laughs) Limitless supply. I don't know if you've seen publishing contracts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, bookshops are also kind of like spaces of like meditation, aren't they? Really, they're like mosques and churches and temples, and you kind of go into bookshops and you, you know, there's not. It's never really that loud in a bookshop, is it? Apart from any other, there's a kind of this hallow, this hallowed text that are on that people have poured their lives over, and then now they're actually on, on shelves and. 
so it's kind of quite an interesting yeah there's lots of books I wish I had books but I don't have enough space the book does as you said it doesn't go into your own career in fashion but you do so you sort of touch on it at the end and I don't want to ruin anything but you say about your mum being surprised that a dress could cost 500 pounds for instance yeah she must have been extraordinarily proud of you. And do you think she sort of understood as time went on what her precious son did? No, I don't think she did. I think her, I mean, she was the most open people. So when I'd like bring friends over who weren't from our community, who were from different races, and I'd, I'd invite them to come round, not as a sort of anthropological exercise, but just kind of, I always, I mean, I think the more the older I got, the more comfortable I, I got with actually not wanting to code switch and wanting to tell stories which were actually kind of real and authentic. And because the kind of like playing the system in a way of trying to be someone else didn't really work really well for me. And I think the power of actually just being yourself, I mean, you know, the last sort of four or five years has actually become much poignant and much stronger and it's given me a better foundation to actually really have a much more interesting and an expansive practice across the art space and even in the garment making space so initially I kind of like hid some of that world I mean a they couldn't really converse with my mum because my mum didn't speak any English and I think but even though she was the most open and hospitable I brought I brought a friend round along my mum gave it 10 pounds just to say okay this is because this is whole kind of idea of respect and hospitality and gift giving and that a guest is a god in your home and that you open up your drawers and your larders to them and you never get them to leave empty-handed so and I feel like I've got a bit of that so I mean I kind of always buy everyone I mean I, I went for a walk with a friend who's an artist a friend of mine and she I ended up buying her en route to we pass the kind of fancy shop a delicatessen so I ended up buying uh, some olives it was just kind of random and I was thinking why did I just do that but it's just something which I've kind of grown up with so I don't know I don't know if she really knew she couldn't really fathom this outside world she didn't really have the skill set to be able to do that to really kind of understand where you have like they come from a rural area into an urban area from a, a community which is kind of illiterate with a different value system into a highly sort of administrative system. And I think that's just kind of like, and you you can't. I mean, that's the same thing what happened with a lot of the men because what happened with a lot of the men is they were brought over as cheap labor. And then when the 80s, the industrialization of the North happened, and Thatcherism, you, they were just kind of discarded. And they couldn't really integrate in many different ways. So, you know, these 40-year-old men who'd been working for so long 
in these foundries and this heavyweight and the work that no one really wants to do. And they weren't the middle-class doctors or they weren't the bus drivers and they weren't these kind of people who could actually interact but still be a brand face, but they were doing the the lowest of the lowest kind of jobs, the heaviest jobs. They didn't have any of the skill set. They couldn't read or write, so they couldn't have it. They didn't have any of the skills to upgrade themselves to actually work in a shop or to go and become work in a service center or in a call center. So it's a kind of this real world of dualities and many different conversations. I think that comes across. I mean, the, speaking of gift giving, I feel like the book is so generous because it's your gift to all of us, really, which is that, yes, nuances, that we expect everything and everyone to fall into some sort of category. And the truth is that we are complicated, all complicated beings who contain multitudes. And that comes across so poignantly and so beautifully in the book and I absolutely urge everybody to read it it's it's brilliant I wanted to close by asking you what I ask everybody which is why do clothes matter or not (laughs) clothes definitely matter clothes matter because they actually they're objects that transform you they're objects that actually can give you a new identity they're objects that actually can repel things your power suit your power dress they can you know your your lucky kind of pants so they're ritualized objects that we kind of like forget the rituals about we they're very powerful things clothes but just kind of like i think they're kind of I mean, my kind of revaluation is actually the kind of consumerism, but I think fundamentally your your cozy jumper, your basically your your dress that actually gives you. I had someone tell me that they that when they wore one of my dresses, her boyfriend didn't actually break up with her. So it was kind of <laughs> kind of I hope you'll send me a link to whatever dress that is. <laughs> I don't know if her boyfriend should have broken up with her, but now they're happily married. But she said he was going to dump her, and then he said he was wearing he was wearing he was wearing one of my dresses, and he kind of was um, he didn't actually break up, and then they parted for a little while, and they got back together again. So I think this the kind of power of dress is quite it should never really be underestimated. And I think the more we ritualize dress, and the more we have that kind of process, I think I think in a very hopefully in a more of an intimate way, in a less consumer way, then I think we can really just harness those kind of, the power. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking like there was someone, there was an author basically who I was reading about, about the other day and they said that she wrote a book and she probably would have taken a five year super in that book, but she managed to do it over lockdown because she wasn't going out. She wasn't actually kind of like dressing up so much on Instagram and showing the world herself. And there's these kind of ways. And I think these precious moments of actually with clothes are very beautiful. And I think, you know, I, I did a, just one to kind of finish it off. I did a piece basically with Bangladeshi garment workers, which was shown at the White Chapel. And it was a project that I did in a workshop that I took discarded clothes made in Bangladesh all the way back to Bangladesh that I found in charity shops in Oxfam. And I took these clothes back and they, 
I did a work, I managed to get through a fixer, through a union, I managed to get access to these garment workers. And then they kind of, I gave them these clothes and I gave them these clothes basically to kind of interact. And they started wearing these clothes and these clothes were an amazing good neck. And so they were just kind of like quite, um, how they interacted with something. And I felt like, why had people thrown these clothes away? And then what was very interesting, what came out of them was actually that they only thought that these people only wore clothes for two weeks at a time. And that's why they were getting continuous orders. And that's why basically these clothes were still in really good condition. So I think if we can marry a message of clothes and sustainability and a message of actually being active citizens is, I know this is about my book, but I think what clothes do matter to everyone. But I think we need to really think about the stories behind them also. The stories behind them, I can't think of a better note to end on. Osman Yusuf Sada, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me. A huge thank you to the brilliant Osman Yusufazada for being my guest today. The Go-Between, a portrait of growing up between different worlds, is published by Canongate on the 27th of January. I urge you all to read it. And thank you for listening. Please do rate and review Grazia Fashion, Why I Wear It, wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps people find us. I'm Laura Antonia Jordan, and I'll see you next time.